You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Joy to be back here. Uh, some of you guys are already uh, well acquainted with me. Others of you, hello. You know, uh, I know it's the first time. Uh, it's just hearing the bio uh, reminded me of when I first met Pastor David. Uh, he was at Washington Bible College, and I was at Capital Bible Seminary. And uh, we were so young then, and, uh, and so ignorant. <laughs> And uh, so helpless. And I like to think that we're still that way. You know, uh, we, we're still very much dependent on the Lord. Um, even though I, I go through spiritual amnesia at times, uh, it is good to remember uh, how far the Lord has brought us uh, in our respective lives. Um, yes, uh, I know Pastor Danny just, uh, just mentioned that... Uh, I got married not too long ago, and unfortunately, my wife, Nikki, could not join us today, but she, she had something going on in D.C., uh, but nevertheless, I still want you guys to meet her, even though it would be uh, just through a photo, so that's my wife, Nikki, uh, Nicole Ellis. Um, uh, she, is, she has been such a, a, a wonderful gift from the Lord. Um, untold blessings have been... Uh, flowing into my life through this partnership and, and through this covenantal uh, relationship called marriage. And uh, some of you guys have known me for a long time. Uh, I have my mindset, I have my uh, mind made up that I just want to stay single like Apostle Paul and just go after the Lord. I had no plans of getting married uh, until I ran into her. Um, and you, you may not want to believe me, but I ran into her at a hotel lobby. Yeah, uh, we were at a Christian conference, and her father, she's a pastor's kid, and her father was one of the guest speakers, and, and she was waiting in the lobby for her Uber. Um, I didn't know she was the daughter of the main speaker, uh, so I made a move on her. <laughs> Highlight them apples, right? Um, so yeah, that's how we met. Uh, it's a long, zany, and serendipitous story, but in the church we call it Providence. Uh, uh, and it's such a joy uh, to introduce her to you. Uh, with all of that said, let's crack open the Bible and let's find out what the word of the Lord has for us today. Uh, I know that we already read through it. Uh, and we don't have to read it again, but I want you to consider... Uh, an illustration that I once heard about Psalm 23. Uh, it was in the olden days where people would entertain each other by reading poetry and uh, talking back and forth. You know, there weren't radios yet or televisions or smartphones. And there's a story about a, a party or a shindig that was going on. And um, there was a famous actor there, and there was a pastor. Right? Usually pastors don't get invited to parties, but this pastor happened to be there. And I think the MC of the fair 
asked the audience, does anyone want something to be uh, red or um, anything to be uh, any, uh, any theatrics tonight, you know, any, anything to be done by this famous actor? And the pastor in the back shouted, read Psalm 23. I want to hear Psalm 23 by this famous actor and orator. And so the brash uh, actor stands up. He's tall and handsome. And he reads Psalm 23. Crystal clear voice, baritone, right intonation and cadence, smooth operator. And then he finishes, and he, and he gives the pastor an incredulous look, right? Kind of like a snarky look. And uh, he wants to get back at the pastor. And so he says, your turn, reverend. The reverend is a little shy, but because he loves the Lord, he decides to stand up and read Psalm 23, now, his version or his rendition of Saul 23 compared to the actors was pitiful. It was pitiful. Um, but when the pastor was done reading, there was not a dry eye in the room. There was lament, contrition, and sorrow over sin. And then after... A few moments, the actor stands up and says, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I know this song inside and out. I know this song by heart. But that man, the reverend, knows the shepherd. He knows the shepherd. In today's passage, Psalm 23, I would I would like to disclose the title of the sermon, and it is a declaration of dependence, a declaration of dependence. Uh, a little over three weeks ago, we celebrate the 4th of July, and we celebrated what our country, the United States, stands upon, was built upon, and is a declaration of independence. Indeed, the declaration of independence. And so even our Christian culture and our Christian worldview or matrix is really very much about options and consumerism and capitalism. It's about independence. Lo and behold, we see Psalm 23. And David says that this is my declaration of utter dependence on God. Not self-sufficiency but insufficiency. Many of you may think that David wrote this psalm while he was at the beach having a margarita or two, or maybe he was in his bedroom doing his quiet time. But none of those imaginations, none of those thoughts are accurate. They are wildly inaccurate. David wrote this psalm during 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15. And David wrote this psalm when he was on the run. He was on the run. 
But this time, he was not on the run from his adversary, Saul, his arch nemesis, Saul. He was on the run from someone else. He was terrified of someone else, a family member, in fact. It was his own son, Absalom. And Absalom was chasing his father, trying to kill him. Why was Absalom trying to murder his father? Because Absalom wanted to wear the crown. But in order to wear the crown, you must chop off the head. And so David wrote this psalm as a defeated man, a homeless man, a devastated man. And may I add, he wrote this psalm while he accepted the fact that he is a deadbeat dad. You know, we all have family problems. I got family problems. You got family problems. David has family problems. Nobody in my family has tried to kill me yet. <laughs> and I hope nobody in your family has tried to kill you. David is known as the greatest king of Israel. But let me tell you guys something. If you fail at home, you failed. If you fail at home, it doesn't matter what you accomplish out here and achieve over there. If you fail at home, you have failed in life. David's highest calling was not king. It was husband and father. My highest calling is no longer pastor. It is husband to Nicole. And David had failed miserably. And it seemed like there was no turning back. If you were to look at this psalm in the original language, you would see that it begins with the word Yahweh and it closes with the word Yahweh. Why? Because it's all about God. This psalm is not really about David. This psalm is not really about me and you. This psalm is about God, the Lord, the Most High God. This is about him. Because I've heard rappers make this song about them. <laughs> I've heard secular uh, people, uh, secularized people, make this song about their present circumstance or calamity. But this psalm is about God. And the goal of God in this psalm, the goal of God in the gospel, the goal of God in his goodness and grace is to make us less and less independent, and more and more dependent. See, it's opposite of what, what we have experienced in our parental paradigm. The goal of my mom and dad, probably just like your mom and dad, was to make me more and more independent. They wanted me to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. Why? Because one day, they will not be here anymore and I will be on my own. And so their goal of parenting was to make me independent, but not so with the Lord, because he's an everlasting God. And his goal, our good father's goal, our good shepherd's goal, is to make us totally dependent children. David seemingly owned the world, 
but yet he knew the source of his strength and the source of his hope was in God. In Psalm 16, he says that apart from you, O Lord, I have no good thing. No good thing. How could David write a psalm of loyal adoration and praise during a time like this? Let me tell you. Because David knew the good shepherd. And in this passage, I want to share what the good shepherd promised David. And David believed. The good shepherd promises to be a personal provider. That's the first thing that I will uh, hopefully unpack clearly and with much clarity, that he is a personal provider. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Secondly, we're going to look at how God, the shepherd, is David's personal protection, personal protector. And thirdly and lastly, we're going to look at how the good shepherd promises to be David's and ours purpose and meaning in life. I try to use some alliteration, you know, help you all out, right? Hit, hit you with the peas, right? Provider, protection, and purpose. Provider, protection, and purpose. We'll begin on provider. You know, the word need, this word want, it is a term that only creatures use. Creators do not, the creator God does not use the word want or need. The crazy thing about God, the wildest thing about God in my limited, in my limited wisdom and opinion is that God doesn't need us. We need God. But we don't want God. He wants us. God doesn't need us. He needs nothing. Need is a, a term only creatures use. He is creator. He does not need us. He is awesome with or without us. And yet, we don't want him. But he wants us. He wants us, and David understood this in the pit. He understood this in his distress. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. Dog, you homeless. Dog, your son Aslam is after your neck. How dare you? The audacity of hope in this man. I shall not want. And David goes on to Talk about how else this God provides for him. And, you know, David knew something about uh, taking care of sheep, right? He knew something about tending sheep because that's where Samuel found him. Right? Jesse didn't even bring David along. His father didn't even bring David into the lineup when they were trying to pick a king. But, but Samuel found David with the sheep, the lowliest the least of these. And, he's, and he knows something about taking care of sheep. And he says, I have been a shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. There's a psychological provision. There is a physical provision. And there's an emotional provision in those three lines, in those two verses. David sees the Lord this way. Do you? I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel, but the Lord provides. If you need money, I mean, you really need money. I'm not talking about like you trying to buy a new car or a bigger house. I'm talking about, yeah, times are tough. You're, you're in debt. The Lord can provide all that you need in Christ. Because what makes us rich, you know, is not money. Money doesn't make us rich. It is Christ. It is Christ. And David knew this, that God provides. He doesn't need a thing. Maybe David had to live on meal to meal, on his daily bread. But he was content with that. You know, uh, on a side note, you know what I love about David's relationship with God? You know, God called him a man after his own heart, even though he was a, he was a rapist and a murderer. He's a scoundrel. But God still called him a man after his own heart. But you know what I, I really appreciate about David's relationship with God? He didn't know much about God. Compared to us, he knew hardly anything about God. Very little, right? Because the Bible was not complete. It was not canonized. But what little David knew about God, he believed. He believed. What about us today? We know so much about God, don't we? Got systematic theology books out there, Grudem, right? You got guys like Tim Keller killing it, right? John Piper. We got all 66 books of the Bible, my friends. But my relationship with God does not look like this. And I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to point something out. David hardly knew anything about God compared to us. And yet he believed that God would provide, that God would take care of him, that David would lay aside the weight of self-preoccupation, and that God is his all in all, his all in all. See, David understood that God is provider, personal provider, because we were made for him. Like sheep are intended to be with their shepherd, human beings are created to worship their creator. What would happen to a sheep without its shepherd? It would perish. We must respect our design. A fish can will its way out of water and try to live on land. But what will happen to the fish? It will perish. It will expire. We must respect our design that we were made for God. And David understood this about sheep. You know, when I was young, I read this psalm and I said to myself, Lord, I'm offended. How dare you compare me to sheep? I'm a lot smarter than sheep. I'm a lot better looking than sheep. 
How dare you? But you know what the Lord revealed to me in this psalm? That God calls us sheep and calls himself the shepherd, not because we are dumb, not because we are stupid, not because we are lame, but because we are needy. Because we are needy. Whatever you need today, God can handle it. He can handle it. He is able. Secondly, we see David talk about God, the good shepherd, as his personal protector. His personal protector and healer, if I may add. His personal protector and healer. Notice in verse 4, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I never had bodyguards. I don't have hitmen. I don't have CIA security guards. Uh, But I am from Baltimore, so I'm not scared of much. Uh, my wife call, says that I'm fearless or inf- unflappable. And I, like, I like to think that I'm rough, rugged, and raw, but I'm scared of things too. And before Christ, I was afraid to die, but now I am not. But some things are worse than death. There are some things in life that are worse than death, my friends that you would prefer that, that you would prefer death over the, those things happening in your life. And usually those things involve family. David's life was falling apart. I should use past tense. It fell apart. I don't know what your valley or your shadow of death is. But I want to encourage you this afternoon, and I want you to look at something with me in the text. In the first three verses, when David refers to the Lord, he refers to God in third person, correct? He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Correct? But notice in verse 4. Pay attention. You might miss it. When the lights go out in the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He speaks of God in second person. There's a transition from third person, he, to second person, you are with me. When the lights go out, and it seems like the countenance of light from God's face has disappeared or vanished, God draws near. Some of you feel very far from God today. And I want to encourage you that if you can feel his absence, 
then you darn well know his presence. One time, my mother and father were having a lot of marital issues, and my mother abandoned us. And I told people I don't have a mother. I was young and ridiculous. And I would tell people, because I was so angry at her, because I was so mad, I would tell people I don't have a mom. But let me tell you something. I knew I had a mom, even in her absence, especially in her absence. Her presence was more real. It was more real. By God's grace, she came back home, and my parents worked it out. And they're still married after 40 years. But for those who feel nothing regarding the Lord, I say with the love of Christ, Examine yourself and look to God and pray the prayer of the man in the New Testament that says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. David said, I will fear no evil in this, in this dark hour. You know why? Because that's where God loves you the most. God loves you in the darkness. Romans chapter 5 talks about that, right? For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. One translation just says, he loved me in the dark. He loved me in my darkest. David did not deserve the presence of God. He did not deserve the favor of God. He did not deserve anything from God. That's why it's called grace. When you read the Bible very carefully and you really think about it, you could say God is stupid. God is stupid. If I saw a woman that is continually abused and neglected and trampled upon, and she kept coming back to love another, this guy, I would call her stupid. But this is our God. Grace is wild. It is scandalous. And God does not, God, you don't, we don't give God permission to love us. We don't give God permission to meet us in the dark. We don't give God permission to save us. He does all these things because he is God. Because he's God, not because we give him permission. He draws near, not David. He draws near to me. I don't draw near to him. Let's look at verse 5. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over, or my cup overflows. I want to look at this part where David, where David sees God as a protector and then a healer. You know, when I studied this passage, especially this verse in uh, verse 5, I thought to myself, God prepares a table 
before David, right? This is, this is in his David's mind. It's not literal, right? It's figurative. And so God is preparing a table before David, right? And who is at this table? Who's at the party? All of David's enemies, all of his haters. And I said to myself, what kind of party is this? What kind of party is this? If I throw a party, if I throw a festivity, I want my favorite food. I want my favorite family members. I want my favorite friends. But God was the MC of the affair. And he, he invited all of David's enemies and naysayers. Why did God invite all of David's enemies? Because he wanted to heal David. He wanted to heal him. And God wants to heal you today. You know how God heals people? How he heals David. You know, sheep are unworthy of oil. I want you to understand something. This oil, this ointment might cost more than a whole flock of sheep. Okay? It's expensive. It is unfit for a despicable sheep, right? An unintelligent creature like a sheep. But what does the shepherd do in the psalm? The shepherd holds the sheep, nestles the sheep, and the shepherd would often use this ointment sometimes to get like ticks and fleas or, or help clean up wounds on the sheep, but it was still unworthy. The shepherd did these things out of love, out of compassion and, and a tenderheartedness. So when David sees this party with all his enemies, he realizes God invited these people because I cannot justify myself. I cannot validate myself. I have no victory in and of myself. God is the lifter of my head. And a lot of you in this room are Asian. But just because you're not Asian doesn't mean you don't experience shame. Asians come from a shame-based culture. It's about saving face. And David says, I don't have to save face anymore. God is the lifter of my head. He is my glory. He's my victory. He's my verdict. Did you ever want a verdict? And you wanted all the people that said you are worth nothing, you're nothing, you're nobody, and you want to, how you like me now? That's what David received in the presence of his enemies. God is the lifter of your head. But you must revisit your wounds. You must revisit unresolved the unresolved parts of your life, if God is to heal you. All of your adult problems are just unresolved childhood problems. But God is the lifter of your head. Don't be afraid. That's why Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Salvation just means rescue. He rescues me. He rescues me. 
And lastly, David says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I remind you that David was homeless? That David looked a lot like Jesus? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a a pillow, and neither did David, unless you count a rock. But he looks at the Lord and says, you are my life, my light, my honor, beauty alone to me. He looks at the Lord and says, you are my purpose and meaning in life. My friends, do you know what life is about? We know what the meaning of life is, where it comes from. Meaning in life comes from relationships. Meaning in life comes from relationships. It does not come from your job. It does not come from your career. It does not come from your golf score or your bank account. Meaning in life comes from relationships, but The tragedy of life is this. Everything ends. Everything ends. Everything ends. Everything is like a carton of milk. There is an expiration date. I hope that I pass away before my wife. But one of us will pass away and the marriage will end. Everything ends. Hopefully, You know, my my mom and dad don't bury me, and I bury them. But the point is, everything ends. Somebody passes away. There's an echo of death upon everyone in this room. Yes, the meaning of life comes from relationships. But the bad news is, everything ends. But not so with Christ. Not so with the Lord. David understands something that we must understand today. Home is not a zip code. Home is not a city or a state. Home is not a residence. Home is a relationship. And David says, certainly, your love and your mercy will relentlessly pursue me all of my days, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Home is a relationship. We can only receive God as provider, God as protector, and God as purpose. Because on the cross, Jesus lost all of these things. Do you know what my greatest fear is as a child? I am a son. I am the oldest son of my father. Do you know what my greatest fear is that's worse than death? Because we talked about there are things that are worse than death, right? You know what my greatest fear is? That I will be disowned. To be disowned. To be deserted. And some of you know that 
Well, you guys have seen, I, I married an African-American woman. My parents almost didn't make it to my wedding. They almost didn't come. Now, they, they've come around, and they love Nikki now, but they were opposed to this marriage in the beginning. You understand my fear to be disowned by your parents, to not have them at your wedding, whether it's from sin or death. David was disowned, but it's nothing compared to how Christ was disowned on the cross. There's only one time in the Gospels where, where Jesus does not call his father Abba. And it's on the cross. On the cross, he says, my God, my God, a formal, impersonal call to God. My God, my God, not my father, my father, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Disowned for our sins. Disowned because we trust and depend on everything but him. For a lot of us, that is our greatest sin. Your greatest sin today is not premarital sex. Your greatest sin today is not watching too much Netflix. Your greatest sin today is not cheating or adultery, your greatest sin, according to the Father and this good shepherd, is to not see your need for Christ. To not see your need for Christ. Because all other sins flow from that. Sin is putting ourselves in a place we do not deserve to be, in the place of God. We play shepherd when he is shepherd. But salvation is... God putting himself in a place he doesn't deserve to be. In my place. In your place. This is the good news. And this is our declaration of dependence today. Whether you have been a Christian for many years or you are not a Christian today, I invite you to depend on the Lord. For God is is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. That's why we see the glory of God in this psalm. Because David is helpless. And he needs God. We need God. Every hour, every moment, every day, we need him. And we cannot love People, if we think they need Jesus more than me, if you think anyone in this room or anyone in your life needs Jesus more than you, you cannot love them. Well, you cannot love them according to the gospel. And so I challenge you guys today to rest in him. No more secondhand faith. Oh, the Lord is my dad's shepherd. The Lord is my mom's shepherd. The Lord is my pastor's shepherd. No, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd, 
No secondhand faith. No hand-me-down faith. He's my shepherd. Do you have a personal relationship with God? You heard it a billion times, but those who have ears, let them hear. Do you have a relationship with God? Now, everybody has a relationship with God, right? Let me ask it again. Do you have a new relationship with God? Everybody has a relationship with God. You're either his child or you are his enemy. But do you have a new relationship with God? And you can cry out, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Oh, the heart of David is really the heart of Christ. David tells us that the best is yet to come. Why, is, why does he believe the best is yet to come? He tells us. He tells us why. David gets God. He gets God. He doesn't get his family back. He, he may not get his kingdom back, but he gets God. That's why the best is yet to come. The goal of the gospel is not to get you out of hell and get you into heaven. My friends, the goal of the gospel is to get you to God. Do you know him? care about you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he precious? Isn't he lovely? He is your everything. Rest in him. Trust in him. Depend on him.